And we are back with another episode with the ladies from Girl Talk. In this part 2 of our three-part series, we continued our conversation on how someone can be allies to survivors of sexual harassment. Before we get to it, if you've somehow stumbled on this episode, do check out part 1 of this three-part series and thank you for tuning in. You know, go ahead and share an episode with your friends, subscribe to our YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and all other podcast platforms and we are on Amazon Music too. If this is not your first episode, we truly appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us. So, without further ado, remember, be bold and stay inspired. Here are the ladies from Girl Talk. Heather, just now when you mentioned something about, I think in the list of questions I also asked, what is the definition of like harassment, right? Because you mentioned, you were mentioning something and then someone actually also said, like, huh, like that also harassment, right? So, you know, what is the definition of harassment? In your own words. Yeah. I think for us, because we are not like a legal organization, nor are we strongly petitioning for everybody to go and report, right? So it doesn't go into like legal definitions. It doesn't go into that. Um, because of that, I think harassment is simply for the purposes of processing your own experiences. Harassment is whatever you feel has put you in an uncomfortable enough position that you want to label it as that. I think this is important, like in the specific context of for the for the the person who has experienced it to deal with their own experiences. So I'm not saying that if like someone sits next to you on the MRT, then you're like, oh my gosh, this person sits next to me, then you can go and like flame them on Instagram. That's not what I'm talking about. But it is very helpful to know that you can call it whatever you want to deal with it on your own. Um, in our process of uh, getting to Girl Talk, we talked to so many people who had experiences that basically like word for word is like, you can tell it's verbal harassment. Somebody put their hands on them as molestation, but they just refuse to call it that. Which is also okay, you know, like if you, as long as you are not completely like denying it, as long as whatever you are labeling it is something that helps you to make sense of the situation, I think you can call it whatever you want. Okay. Yeah. Then for us, because we are survivor, sorry, sorry, for us, because we are survivor centric, that's always going to be like our focus as, as a platform, right? What helps you as the survivor? Um, deal with your experiences what helps you um, process heal and move on yeah now I just wanted to actually add on that this actually did happen with uh, someone that I know so um, when we were doing uh, research and stuff we had to interview different people so I interviewed this um, it was through a friend so my friend told me that hey I found a friend of mine that will be willing to share with you and she has experienced harassment before and I was like, okay, uh, that, that's great. I would like to hear more about it. So I actually met up with this lady and then she spoke to me about it. Mm-hmm. And then after, she, when she was telling me about her experiences, like in my head, it was like, alarms going off. I was like, okay, this is like 100% harassment. I don't know why she's not doing anything about it. I, I don't know how to like help her because like that was before everything started, right? So my, I was like the first person that I actually really spoke to that 
experience harassment. Okay. And then uh, at the end of it, she said that, oh, but um, I don't think it's harassment. It, which made me like, like very like confused because I was like, this is so obviously like harassment. He touched you. Uh, you felt uncomfortable. You remembered it. And your friend thinks it's harassment. Why is it not harassment to you? So I tried to probe, like, of course, like in different ways and like gently. And from what I understood was that she said that, oh, because um, it was not set in like an intentional harass. Like he's not like trying to be creepy. He's not like they sit next to each other and then he purposely like touch her thighs or whatever. It's sometimes that when they are like, they're friends, right? So sometimes friends are a bit more touchy. And then sometimes he touches like a certain area of like her body that makes her uncomfortable. Then I said, why not you raise it up with your friend? Because if, if he's really a friend, you say that, oh, I actually don't really like it maybe when you touch like my shoulders and it makes me I feel uncomfortable. He's not going to be like, uh, like what? You know, because he's your friend, right? He should understand. And, but then she said that, oh, but I'm afraid that if I raise this up, then our dynamics would change and that he will feel that, oh, um, like she's very sensitive. I, I cannot like play around with her like too wildly. I have to be careful with like where my hands go. So to her, it was quite like strange, I guess, um, to have that conversation because to me, it felt very clear, but to her, it's another situation. And of course, we have to respect whatever um, harassment means to her. If she says it's not, then it's not harassment. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, uh, before I say something, June, you're wrong. I don't want to say you're wrong. You're wrong. Do you have anything? Sorry, you're wrong again. It's okay. Uh, oh, actually, um, while Heather and uh, Daniela were sharing, right, actually we called, um, like during our training as well, um, there was one part where um, they mentioned that like, um, if you're talking to like a victim slash survivor, right, um, one of the things that um, you can um, approach is like, if let's say that person is describing the situation like as a situation or not calling it a harassment case or assault or violence, then you just follow whatever term they are using because like by the way they are describing, maybe in your definition it is considered harassment, uh, but maybe in their dictionary they don't want to call it that. But then um, you can try to understand and empathize. Don't try to keep pushing uh, the terminology because um, what you can do is to absorb uh, what they're telling you and then try to help them, uh, you know, get the resources they need. Yeah, so sometimes like, um, it's okay if the, the terms that you use are slightly different, uh, but just know that uh, you, should, you can be like there for that person, like, even if the terms you use are different. Just be there to listen to them, to listen to what happened to them. Yeah. Okay, so you're saying if, let's say, for example, then you mentioned, right? So, I mean, if it's, it's totally up to them to kind of like share their story. I mean, share whatever happened to them, right? Whether they decide to or not, it's entirely up to them. I mean, for example, us as, uh, as allies or, um, or friends who, you know, can, we do not force it on them to kind of like, you know, go report it and stuff like that, right? Is that what you, you, you try and say? What you ladies are saying? Yeah. Yeah, so when I was speaking to her, I never once said, um, that's harassment. I never like once like, like, I think you're wrong, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you don't say that, you just try to understand it from that point of view. And even at the end of it, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. Okay, thank you so much for your time and sharing your uh, experiences. Okay. Because I, of course, I also asked her like many other questions, not just about her, like one, this particular experience. Then it was only afterwards that I went to share with like the Girl Talk team. Then we were like, oh yeah, that's uh, interesting. And then, 
we had eventually we had that um responder training also. Then that's where that uh what the information that Enron shared came in. Then we're like, yeah, so like what Heather said, mm. harassment is what you define as harassment. We're not here to tell you what should or should not make you feel uncomfortable. Okay. I've got a question, okay. What if I mean what if they, they share it with you and it's something that you feel that might um is it's let's say um that that she'll be in danger. You know, for example, like let's say if she's mm. like a family member that keeps a bit like, you know, um harassing her and stuff like that, right? So in that kind of situation, I mean I'm I'm just asking this um because I mean I'm sure that that happens, right? But the thing is we can't force it on them to kind of report report it, right? So what are the next few steps that we could be we could do to kind of like help? Mm. Uh, Heather or you wrong? Anyone? Maybe Heather, you go first. Okay. <laughs> Just throwing difficult questions my way. Um, okay. Okay. In, in general, right, mm-hmm. the body's immediate response to, to such negative triggers would be to try and survive. So what survival looks like is very different for different people. For some people, it's like leaving, right, immediately. For some people, it's not doing anything. For some people, it may even be pandering to the situation or to the perp because they believe, okay, this is the way that I won't be hit. This is the way that I won't be hurt, right? Um, I think as, as a third party looking in, I hesitate to say what is the right thing to do. Okay. But like as a human being who lives on this earth, you know, just like as a human being, I think if anybody's in a situation where they are facing like bodily threat or bodily harm, even if they think that it's the best thing for them to stay in that situation, um, it's not. There are options, right? But it's not helpful to tell someone like, hey, you know, uh, you shouldn't stay there. You, you should just like go and report full stop. But see, reporting can be a very tiring and difficult process. And I think what we, a, a great thing that we can realize, right, is that there are so many resources, you know, there are so many resources and avenues um, where you can seek help. There are, of course, emergency hotlines and then there's like a police, like that's where you want to go straight away. If not, there are other softer approaches. There are organizations such as like AWARE. Um, there are many ways to provide a listening ear and to gently urge somebody to seek the necessary, sometimes urgent, sometimes immediate help that they need. Um, I cannot say for certain what is the right thing to do in every situation, but I think to approach with empathy and to be aware that as a third party, sometimes you have um, perspective into things that matter. And, and that's why it's important to educate yourself about it. Go for the aware first responder training. <laughs> Learn what the options and the alternatives are. For the person who's in the situation who cannot consider their alternatives, go so you can consider their alternatives for them. Okay. Yeah, not to make decisions on anybody's behalf, but to be there for people, you know, when they need it. I think it's like about, it's not about like, telling them exactly what to do or like forcing them like, oh, this is happening. I'm going to call the police now. Like it's different. Um, it's more of like, like um, raising all these options up to them. So like, let's say something is really happening. You know, they are saying like, oh, I'm crying. I'm really, I'm, I'm feeling really like hurt right now. Um, you know, uh, he just like beat me. So like 
So once you hear this kind of thing, but then uh, if let's like, say like he or she says like, I don't want to report it, then what you can do is send them a list of like a number they can call or like um, places they can go to. So instead of telling them like, you should go to this, this, this you just tell them like, here's a list of places. Um, it's completely up to you. Like anytime you feel like it's getting too much, just call this number. You know, it's all here and I'm here for you as well. If you don't want to do it, I can do the report. I can make the report for you and I can call on your behalf so you don't have to deal mm. with it. Yeah, so it's just presenting all these options. And of course, like, if let's say they still don't want, you just got, um, as a third party, you just got to, like, uh, monitor, you know, like, make sure that you, you still hear from them. You know, that's something that you can actively do, mm. like, even if you you feel like you don't want to like um, force them to do something. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and I also definitely think that it depends on like your position as a third party. So if, example, it's a family member and it's another family member that is like um, uh, sexually violating your family member. So if it happens within the family, you're in a unique position to actually do something about it. Uh, but of course, if this is like an acquaintance that brought it up to you, then you also need to consider like, do you have that bandwidth? Are you able to carry them through this journey if you're going to suggest something? So you can provide them the options, but if like what Aaron says that, okay, do you need my help with reporting, etc. You need to consider your own position as well and also learn how to like take care of yourself because it is a really, really lengthy process and if you cannot be there for that person like from start to end, it's actually better if you refer them to AWARE because AWARE actually has like volunteers that accompany like I think I think they call it befrienders so they accompany like the anyone who comes to them asking for help they have defenders who go with them to uh, report to the court cases uh, etc yeah so they always show up Okay, so the last year or so um, has seen increased interest and awareness surrounding the topic of campus sexual assault. When previously this topic was one that was constantly hidden or just not known to the wider public. So what do you think was the turning point and what are your opinions on it? Okay, so like the turning point was definitely Monica Bay. Okay. Yeah, so um, because of that, right, personally, like all of us saw so many like um, social media posts like just resharing her story people adding their own commentaries on it you know it's just like it's just something that you keep saying every single day and you know as someone who has experienced like a, a form of like sexual harassment uh, be it on campus or just in your daily life um, it just really hits home lah, basically so like I know I, I kept talking to this about my, uh, with my friends and you know, it was just like a daily thing. And then over time, I think um, the subsequent weeks, there were like even more news reports that came out like, oh, Peeping Tom in NTU or like, or like in NUS or like wherever, right? In, in Singapore universities. So then I think that was definitely the turning point. And my, my view on it was that it's about time. <laughs> like, you know, we, we've heard about this so many times. And finally, people are talking about it. Finally, like, our parents are talking about it. Our friends are talking about it. Our siblings, our little, like, young um, nephews and uh, nieces also have heard about this. So, you know, it's about time, basically. And I feel like we really did um, take advantage of this time where everybody knew about this to like quickly, you know, come up with an initiative. Because what we found was that so many people are aware that, you know, these scary things happen in universities to our young children. But what can they do about it? You know, so I, I, I feel like that was the gap that we wanted to fill. You, uh, you know, it's not about like um, scaring everybody like, oh, this happens like, 
you know, to every like uh, university student. Um, no, that's not what we want to do. What we want to do is to like fill the gap of like saying like, you know, uh, these are the steps you can take. And if let's say you want some action to be taken, you can report this to the school. This is the email. This is the number, you know, um, how to collect evidence, how to, you know, um, say um, that you're uncomfortable without actually saying the word. Okay. No, you know, so yeah, so these, these were the steps that we, were, we wanted to take. So I think at that time, the turning point was very good because it gave us like a platform to like really identify that gap and then quickly go in and feel that, yeah. The campaign that you have come up uh, with uh, takes on a more educational approach where it seeks to raise awareness and teach people or girls in the community to be aware of sexual assault and how to deal with them. Do you think that there's a potential for structural and or systemic change to address the issue of campus sexual assault? Someone want to take that? Heather or Danny? Or 100% not my question to take. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Wait, wait, wait. I've got a very curious yeah. question. I've got a very curious yeah. question. Why though, Heather? Yeah, why? Don't why. We had this conversation so much. Okay, when we were first establishing our campaign, right, we had to think about who was the target audience, right? And we, we were thinking about maybe targeting like organizations, like maybe schools, like bigger organizations in support of this because they can do more. And while that is true, it takes so much effort to work up towards systemic change. And it's not that I think that that is impossible, but it's just that where I feel I have the greatest impact as I am now is on an individual level, having these conversations with people, um, you know, like sharing my own experiences or empowering them through such means. So it's not that I think that it's impossible. It's just that I, I am not, I wouldn't say that I'm trained on it or thinking very hard about it. And because of that, I think it's better to ask somebody else. Okay, so like, um, yes, uh, Girl Talk took a very like educational approach uh, where we even um, created like a VR training tool to like teach um, female undergraduates to respond, basically giving them scenarios to practice um, by putting on a headset and then like putting them into these scenarios where they can practice responding. So that is one of the ways that we tried to um, have an educational tool uh, for them to try. So. Um, what we attempted to do was, actually no, what we did was that we had this event, right, to educate like uh, around 90 to 100 uh, female undergraduates on like how to respond by giving them like a panel event where like, you know, experts such as like lawyers, um, psychiatrists, and also like activists came down to like, you know, give a lot of tips and advice. So that was one of the ways we tried to like um, inject like the education um, to them. Because um, at the time we knew that um, in universities, right, they had this like um, e-module. So it's a 15 minute um, online module where you have to take, like every student had to take um, to educate themselves about like uh, sexual harassment. But of course, um, 15 minutes, um, a lot of our respondents felt like it was not enough. Mm -hmm. um, it felt like they didn't uh, learn about like what consent is you know how to draw boundaries what exactly they need to do to collect evidence and report a certain case to get something done so um so from all this we can tell that like um 
you know, we don't really have a module, you know, in schools, um, in sex education, we also don't really uh, learn about what consent is. We only learn like about abstinence. So then there was like a big gap to fill. And then suddenly you go into university, this happens to you. And then you're just like, what? <laughs> Like, a, yeah, it basically you just hit a wall and become really confused and then you try to like cope with it by not thinking about it. So um, going back to the question of like whether we think that systemic change can happen. So um, we feel like, okay, maybe I say I feel like um, in, in the future, maybe not in like one or two years, but like in the future, I believe that... Um, it, it will eventually come. Like, um, let's say the educational system, they will insert more topics about consent, about what sexual harassment is um, from a young age, so that as we grow up, we learn to accept that, you know, it is wrong and it's not something that should be, you know, swept under the rug. So that's also one of the reasons why, like, um, the VR tool was created. Because um, actually, for personally, for myself, I wanted that to happen because um, I saw, like, I, I sort of like had this um, like vision that like maybe in the future, you know, schools can actually use these, these tools, combine technology and, you know, like hard social issues together mm -hmm. to, you know, educate more people more effectively. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I know it sounds a bit like, oh, you know, it's going to happen in the future, but, but I feel like it will eventually happen. It's just slowly, la, slowly but surely, yeah. Okay, so it should really start from, from young Because sex education, we never really talk about it when we were in the schools and in younger schools Yeah, I didn't even know what consent was <laughs> Yeah, we don't, we, that's the thing, we don't even talk about it Because, you know, it's not, it's not in our culture to talk about these kind of things Yeah, but the good thing is now even like mainstream media like Netflix They've been releasing a lot of shows about like yeah. sex education About, you know, like Vox, they have this series about like what sex is about you know, what is sexual harassment? So I think this this is really good. It's like the first step towards changing this whole like conversation about sexual harassment. Yeah.